Welcome to Funeral Potatoes for the Singles Ward. Tune in to today's taboo topic with Kaylee and Tracy. You know what I realized? Yes. Today, we are finally getting back to like normal episodes. <laughs> what is normal? <laughs> um, no, that's a good point. Because <laughs> we did like heavy, 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 heavy. And then we did like, whatever, no plans. Let's just do whatever we want. And now we're like, okay, we've we've had our palate cleanser. We can be normal again. <laughs> More scripture related topics. Yeah. Gospel centered things. I get that. Yes. Um, we're definitely all over the place. Kind of like a pinball machine. We're just like. <laughs> I mean, it's very indicative of our mental states this year too. So. That is true. Yeah, I was actually thinking about that a lot because I feel like when we started the podcast, like, I'm granted we didn't have, like, the pandemic to worry about, but we were in very different mental states at that time, you know? I I feel like we've just been deteriorating since November 2019 (laughs) when we started this. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, well, and I remember starting this and I was like, hey, we're going to be able to help out so many people. We're going to like learn so much. We're going to become so spiritually strong within the church. It's going to be amazing. And now... Yeah. Now, I don't know anything, and I don't know. I would say it's definitely helped me to make an effort. Like, the podcast and everything that we've been doing has definitely pushed me to make a more concentrated effort on my gospel study and on my spiritual observance outside of church, I should say. Yeah. And it's made me think more critically about things. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. Do I feel like I know more now? No, I feel like I'm still at the same knowledge level because (laughs) other things keep popping up where I'm like, well, what about this? And what about this? And well, what about this? And so I feel Mm -hmm. like I'm still as in the dark as I was when I started, but I feel, I don't want to say I feel better about it. I just feel, I don't know. I think I was very blindly hopeful before and now I'm aware of how crappy everything is uh, we, were, like, yeah, we were hopefully okay. naive even <laughs> yes. for the experiences that we'd had up to that point in time um because we already had fairly strong opinions but now we're just like here's so much more that we've been learning um that's kind of crazy kind of odd kind of strange and we're gonna try and piecemeal this and then tear it apart to understand it But then we're also going to just leave the pieces right where they are. The thing that I keep thinking about is in everything, everywhere, all at once. Yes. So good. (laughs) The daughter is like, nothing matters. Nothing matters. And just that line has been going through my head since I watched that movie. And I'm like, you're right. Nothing (laughs) freaking matters. Nothing matters. I mean, yes, it's important to be a good person and it's important to like be a decent human but like beyond that nothing matters am i ever going to make enough money to have a stable retirement probably not so i'm just going to enjoy my life while i can and if that's not the most sagittarius thing i've ever said in my (laughs) life i don't know what is am i going to have a spouse one day probably not but does it matter nope because jesus doesn't care if i'm single or married anyways so really why would i stress about all of these stupid things these stupid 
meaningless things that we talk about all the freaking time at church as these aspirational goals when none of it freaking matters if I'm still a garbage person at the end of the day. Like that's definitely like the message that reverberated for me as well in the thing. And it brought me back to like the memories of I had in like therapy, like where I was like going through like su- super stupid stuff. And my psychiatrist, like my therapist had to like keep getting to me and saying like, it ultimately doesn't matter. Like you cannot control everything. There is very little you can control. So figure out how you want to manage your reactions and just go from there. And like the, yeah, everything everywhere all at once, like did that for me. And I was like, Oh yeah. Like why am I, why do I care so much about the little things that really are not going to make an essential impact? Yeah. Why am I stressing about people that have absolutely no influence on my life? Why do I care about them? I can be nice to them. I can be civil to them, but they they don't pay my bills. So why am I paying them any mind? Why am I paying them any attention? Why? Nothing matters. Nothing matters, everyone. <laughs> Free yourself because nothing matters. <laughs> Amen. So <laughs> for and just- that, that's the end of our episode. Uh, thanks for joining <laughs> us this week. <laughs> seriously that's that's it that's that is how we will close the ultimate podcast all together nothing matters thank you for all of you at the time you spent with us goodbye (laughs) that day is not today one day in the future we'll say that but Um, it's not today yes not today though um but on that since there is tomorrow you guys if you have not seen everything everywhere all at once you need to see it Yes. You need to see it. It's so good. The cast is fantastic. The writing is brilliant. Um, Oh my gosh. So good. We are thrilled to be new members of the Dialogue Podcast Network. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Dialogue, Dialogue is a collective of independent and interesting podcasts who promote thoughtful, respectful, and engaging inquiry and discussion into all aspects of the LDS tradition, thought, arts, and culture. You can support our podcast and others in the network by subscribing at dialoguejournal.com. Subscribers receive special benefits like ad-free episodes and bonus content. You can learn more at dialoguejournal.com. So check it out. Anyways. Okay. (laughs) We're really going to do a podcast now. (laughs) Yeah. um, I don't have anything for Corrections Corner. Do you have anything? I do not know. I mean, we we really didn't do much the last two weeks. Well, wasn't one of those like our fashion one? As yeah. Aesthetics. We did yeah. a little bit. Of, we did some research for that one. That was like straight up fun, though. Yeah. Hopefully we didn't get our facts wrong. I'm sure we did. Someone will tell us eventually, but I haven't seen anything yet. So Cool. All right. Well, then moving on to today's episode, because we have not started that yet. So... We were inspired, once again, by a Twitter thread. Where we get some of our best ideas, honestly. Yeah. I mean, we've got to enjoy it before Elon Musk does anything weird to it. Let's be real. Anyways, <laughs> we pulled um, our Twitter a Twitter thread from A Real Doozy. Um, that's the account we discovered. And they posted this last year. And so we wanted to explore it some more. As you can see, we are exploring the subject of Satan today. Who is he? What is he? And so on. So just to get us started, we are going to read off the thread and explain like why we want to explore this topic today. 
So the it's a it's a whole thread, and they say for some time now I've been thinking a lot about Satan or Lucifer, probably because of the way he is portrayed in the media recently, like on Netflix as Lucifer. But he's still been on been on my mind. Basically, I feel bad for the guy. He's damned forever, like forever, forever, for doing a job that, according to all the doctrine as I understand it, was entirely necessary. For it must needs be that there is an opposition in all things. So basically, my question is this. If Lucifer, Satan, is doing a job that is necessary to this crazy, intricate plan of God's, don't you think that our infinitely just and merciful heavenly parents would have a better plan for this son of heaven than just damning him to an eternity of torment for doing a job that someone else would have to do if he hadn't made the choices he made? If it weren't Lucifer, it could have been any of us. So basically, I think God is much more merciful than we think, and Satan might not spend eternity in hell like we all initially believed. Thoughts? So we want to also like then follow it up with a few um, responses that came up in the Twitter thread. Do you want to read some of those? Sure. I'll read the first one. So one said, Satan is eternally damned, and yeah, forever, forever, but not because God doesn't want Satan to be part of salvation. Satan is Satan because he rejected any chance of salvation when he chose to reject taking a body and letting God or Christ's plan work in his life. He chose. Another one says, I find this idea incredibly interesting. We have always been taught that God will forgive us for anything we do. But if we don't choose God or if we deny him, there is nothing we can do. I have been taught many times that Judgment Day will be less of us begging God to accept us and more of God begging us to accept him. If Satan is denying God, if he is choosing not to participate, God cannot make him. I think that's what it comes down to. Like the prodigal son, I am sure God would accept Satan back with loving arms if that's what he wanted. So the next one says, If I'm not mistaken and can't remember where I read it, but some early church leaders believed that old Lucy at final judgment would be forgiven, his repentance being all this time without being born, and that Cain would become the leader of outer darkness. That definitely sounds like it's made up. I'm not even going to lie. I feel like <laughs> it that's... What? It sounds like one of those like weird... Like those stories that we talked about earlier this season where you hear it once in a gospel doctrine class and uh-huh. it gets spun yes. a thousand times and no one has the quote, uh, no one remembers tale. where it came from. And Mormon Yeah, that sounds tale. totally fake, like that's, such Mormon It's making Cain more, e- like, more evil than saying that's so weird. Yeah, so suddenly Cain <laughs> is the father of all what? darkness and lies. Okay, sure. All he did was kill his brother. Jeez. People have done worse on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Oh, my gosh. Someone, someone had to be the first one to do it. So it was going to happen eventually. We're only human. Okay. Anyways, last last uh, response we want to read is that it's been a while since I thought about this, but I used to think about it, this a lot, too. I think the closest answer I ever saw was that it's not Satan the individual it's Satan the role. There's a whole host of like-minded followers who could have been the leader instead. So are we uneasy that Satan is damned or that a third of us are? Personally, I came to find the answer to the question of the necessity of the atonement a more worthwhile pursuit. Why was it necessary? Forget a non-physical entity's damnation. We murdered a guy to save ourselves. Interesting. So yeah, so I mean, I don't necessarily agree with like all of these, but I thought they were very interesting. They continued to consider the subject in a way that allows us to kind of open up our minds and consider some more possibilities. It just brings up a very interesting idea overall. I mean, as we know, in the LDS faith, we have a very straightforward perspective. It's a 
very black and white version of what happened in heaven. We know this is literally, this is what happened. These are the details. Um, But we know how like in different cultures, there are variations of the devil and of demons and so on. There's just so many different kinds of beliefs that we have to kind of consider, even though like we've got our own idea of it, we got to like pay attention to what's going on. So overall, we just kind of want to take some time today and explore more about who Satan is, how he gets perceived, and just see if there is anything to learn from this. Yeah. So before we get into who Satan is and the more like scriptural references about Satan, we wanted to know the answer to this question. And if you want to like DM us what your answer is to the question too, like we would love to hear your answers. So the question is, when you think of Satan, what are the first things you think of? Kaylee, I'm going to give that to you first. So first off, my first thought is actually my college professor's exploration of Milton's Paradise Lost. We'll talk about this more. I love poetry. I love epic poems. I love all this stuff. And it just really stuck with me. So yeah, we'll be we'll be exploring this more. But at the beginning of Paradise Lost, for any of those who have read the super old epic, like, oh, it, it's super long. It's ridiculous. But it's also, like, beautiful and strange. It introduces Satan basically as the hero in the beginning. As, like, to, so to me, like, I was, like, I pictured, like, this golden warrior coming down to Earth, like, valiantly fighting for his people kind of thing. Um, it definitely devolves and everything, but that's kind of the first thought, like some a glimpse of something that used to be grand and had a moment of triumph and then devolves into kind of like a goblin or something. I don't know. But then also it eventually like also kind of turns to the, I, I mean, I think he's a redhead. Was he a redhead? He's like strawberry blonde. Strawberry yeah. blonde. Super loose. The, I didn't look up his name. I forgot his name. We talked about him recently. If you watch Supernatural, the guy who plays Lucifer, devious, brilliant. So I just think that, well, like, and then like also like Satan and Good Omens, who's like horns, wings, a fool. Like no one can win. They try so hard though. And you like kind of want to root for them, even though you know you can't. Mark Pellegrino. Mark Pellegrino, thank you. My whole heart belongs to him playing Lucifer. <laughs> he did a brilliant job. The way I'm in love with him playing Lucifer is absurd. Absolutely absurd. I, I, I mean, I never finished the show, but they got other people to play Lucifer, right? And like, mm-mm. It didn't work. No, they don't. It's him the whole time. What? I totally thought. Mm. I mean. Okay, then never mind. I mean, mm, spoilers, but like, I mean, it's <laughs> We're gonna technically watch it. it's him the whole time, but. Okay, I thought they like switch out the actors. When he finally goes at the, at this, at a specific point, I'm not going to say when, but when he finally goes, like I had to stop the show and cry for a while because I was so devastated because I loved Lucifer so much. <laughs> I remember, like, he, like, left the show. So, like, that's why I thought, like, they just, like, I just figured they had other people. But they've also had, like, other hellish figures come up and everything. Like Crowley. Uh, so, <sighs> gotta love Crowley. Moose and Squirrel. Anyways. Moving on. Tracy, what do you, what, com- what comes to mind for you? He says, who's Satan? Oh, I think of a couple things. The first thing I think of, and I... I'm 99.99% positive this is not doctrine, it's just Mormon lore. I always heard that Satan has to be this extremely good-looking person to get so many people to follow him so readily and easily. (laughs) With that being said... Looks mattered in heaven, you guys. (laughs) They matter on Earth, too, duh, come on. 
With that being said, I think of Bradley Cooper being the physical (laughs) representation of Satan on Earth. And I'm not saying this because I think Bradley Cooper is evil or horrible or anything. He is literally Satan, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I'm saying this because I think Bradley Cooper is so attractive, but he also has this like wicked evil glint in his eye whenever he smiles that makes me feel like really uneasy, but I'd probably still listen to whatever he's saying or buy whatever he's selling. And I have two pictures in the notes, and you cannot tell me that that is that is not the face of Satan. No, it is. I feel like, especially the, there's a second picture, and we'll we'll put this in our notes. Um, that picture looks like he's gonna flirt with me, and all the while, while he's like grinning at me, he's explaining exactly how he's gonna cut me into little pieces and eat me. And I'm going to say, please do it. Like, I'm like yeah, that sounds like a great time. Yes. Let's do this. <laughs> Like, if a news report came out that he was the one that was eating human flesh, okay, yeah, I would believe it and I'd be like, that makes sense. All right, that, that tracks, you know, I'm not surprised. Oh, gosh. I never considered it until you brought it up. But like the moment you said, it, I was like, yes. I thought this yes. since like 2012. No like, way. That I've thought this for a really long time. Oh my gosh. It's been a That's long great. time. A long time. Anyways, okay, so the second thing I think of is the really overly dramatic Satan from the old temple. His name is Michael Ballum. He was really committed to his role. He's also done like a bunch of other things. Like he's a conductor, a musician, an actor. Like he's done a lot. But I always think of him specifically because he was so committed to this role. He's very good at convincing, conniving, manipulating people. And he had a diva fan the entire time. So like that just amplifies the like drama, which I'm here for. Yeah. And there hasn't been another Satan since him that even comes close to what he could deliver. Oh goodness. Anyways. Okay. That's just, that's what I think of when I think of Satan. Apt means he did a good job. He did a great job. (laughs) great job the only thing keeping me awake in the temple was his video so or at least him on screen (laughs) anyways i just told a lot more about me than i probably should let people know (laughs) about my life i mean we're in the third season like there's not much i think we're hiding at this point (laughs) no so (sighs) okay so let's dive into our discussion by like establishing a sort of baseline of who satan is and then we can more doctrinally than yeah more wise <laughs> more doctrine than bradley cooper um so we can go a little bit deeper into different references and allusions a l l u s i o n s not illusions there's a difference look it up folks dictionary.com that ish So those allusions to Satan in the scriptures, Latter-day Revelation, and literature also. To kick it off, we have a definition of sorts from the Gospel Topics Satan on the church website, which reads, quote, Satan, also called the adversary or the devil, is the enemy of all righteousness and of those who seek to follow God. He is a spirit son of God who was once an angel in authority and in presence of God. But in the pre-mortal council in heaven, Lucifer, as Satan was then called, rebelled against God. Since that time, he has sought to destroy the children of God on the earth and to make them miserable. Heavenly Father allows Satan and Satan's followers to tempt us as part of our experience in mortality. 
Because Satan seeketh that all men might be miserable like unto himself, he and his followers try to lead us away from righteousness. He directs most strenuous opposition at the most important aspects of Heavenly Father's plan of happiness. For example, he seeks to discredit the Savior and the priesthood, to cast doubt on the power of the atonement, to counterfeit revelation, to distract us from truth, and to contradict individual accountability, end quote. Very nice. Um, and that's always like a good reminder for me because growing up, like I always just considered Satan as his name and I don't feel like I learned Lucifer until my, like my teens. So Satan is like a title like in my perspective the title that we've given him kind of like the title of the devil Mm -hmm. which we which we really don't use that much in the church um it's it's meant more loosely i feel and we we prefer to call him satan um but lucifer than like what's his name yeah i find this quote interesting as a basic explanation of who he is because it roughly outlines where satan started where he is now and how he got there we already know from Latter-day Revelation, as documented in DNC section 76, as well as in Moses chapter 4, we know that the big reason Satan was cast out, as well as the one-third of the host of heaven, was because Satan sought to remove agency from God's plan. He could quote-unquote guarantee that we'd all make it back to the Father's presence, but we wouldn't be able to choose, which would make it impossible for us to learn anything in this life, really. As a result, our progression would have been damned from the start. Basically, we would be damned before we even had a chance to prove otherwise. Contrary to popular belief, being damned does not mean that you're thrust down to a pit of hellfire and brimstone for time and all eternity. In the guide to the scriptures, it says, quote, Damnation is the state of being stopped in one's progression and denied access to the presence of God and his glory. Damnation exists in varying degrees, All who do not obtain the fullness of celestial exaltation will to some degree be limited in their progress and privileges, and they will be damned to that extent, end quote. So it literally means that their progress and privileges are halted. It ends there. So that means that because Satan chose to rebel in the pre-mortal existence, that's where his progression ends. He doesn't get to obtain a body He doesn't get to learn. He doesn't get to gain life experience like the rest of us. He had no opportunity to improve, change, or progress in any sort of way, shape, or form. And similarly, the spirits that follow him have the same punishment affixed to them. So they don't get to grow. They don't get to learn. They don't get to change. They don't have that opportunity because they made that choice so early. Because they made that choice, that's like they're stuck, which sucks. Yeah. I mean, that gets a little off topic. That could take us in another direction. Um, but, uh, that's helpful. To yeah. You kind of get where I'm going. That's, know. let's, let's go back to like who <laughs> Satan actually is. All right. Let's do it. All right. So we're diving into the Bible dictionary. So we do have a definition of Lucifer and that says literally the shining one or light bringer or son of the morning. That's the one I know the most. Um, so Lucifer is also known as Satan or the devil. The name Lucifer also only appears once in the Bible, which is in Isaiah 14, 12. Okay, then diving in a little bit deeper, we can go into the Bible dictionary of devil. That says the English word devil in the King James Version is used to represent several different words in Greek. Slander, demon, and adversary. Adversary. And in Hebrew, spoiler. The devil is an enemy of righteousness and of those who seek to do the will of God. 
literally a spirit son of God, he was at one time an angel in authority and in the presence of God. However, he rebelled in the premortal life, at which time he persuaded a third of the spirit children of the Father to rebel with him in opposition to the plan of salvation championed by Jehovah, Jesus Christ. They were cast out of heaven and were denied the experience of mortal bodies in earth life. Latter-day Revelation confirms the biblical teaching that the devil is a reality and that he does strive to lead men and women from the work of God. One of the major techniques of the devil is to cause human beings to think they are following God's ways, when in reality they are deceived by the devil to follow other paths. He is miserable in his situation and stirreth up the children of men unto secret combinations of murder and all manner of secret works of darkness, as referenced in 2 Nephi chapter 9, verse 9. He tries to imitate the work of God by transforming himself nigh unto an angel of light, which is referenced in 2 Corinthians, 2 Nephi, and Doctrine and Covenants. He is also a worker of miracles by which he deceives many upon the earth. In fact, the scripture says he deceives the whole world in Revelations. He can cite scripture to make his point seem plausible, as referenced in Matthew. All this is his scheme to make man miserable like himself. Protection against the influence of the devil is found by obedience to the commandments and laws of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of all the prophets and apostles is that trust, righteousness, and peace shall in the end prevail over error, sin, and war. The faithful shall triumph over all their afflictions, and enemies shall triumph over the devil. There shall be a complete and lasting victory of righteousness over wickedness on this earth, which will be done by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is super interesting. And one thought that I just had, like, you don't have to keep this in if you don't want to. Um, But towards the beginning, it says that he was at one time an angel in authority and in the presence of God, which in that just context almost makes it seem like not everyone had access to God in heaven. It was just a thought that came to me. Interesting. I don't know. I have no basis on that, but it seems wrong, but also it does seem plausible because it the whole goal is to then end up with him at the end, you know? Yeah. So it's like, if we weren't already, then... Yeah, I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. I found this section of the Bible dictionary really interesting because I knew that Satan could feign the appearance of an angel because he previously was one and that he could perform miracles, like, because he does with, like... I mean, you read about it in the scriptures, like the kind of shady miracles that he helped wizards and crap perform. But for some reason, it did not register in my mind in all of my 32 years of life that he would cite scriptures to make his point seem legit. Well, he does that with Jesus Christ, doesn't he? Yeah, but I don't know why it like it just never computed that like he continues to do it like even today. Mm. I really don't know why I never thought of that, but it makes so much sense in the way that he has been able to manipulate scripture to work in his favor. You know, the whole like teachings of man mingled with scripture thing that they talk about all the time. It blew my mind, and I really wanted to point that out because that's one of the main ways that Satan gets people to follow him, and it's by not through, like, the traditional temptations of, like, you know, alcohol and drugs and sex, you know. Rock and roll. Yeah, like, that stuff we learned in our youth. Yes. I mean, that sometimes works, too, but, like, he gets people to follow them by convincing them that they're doing God's work when in reality they're doing Satan's work. And this can be seen by religious extremists of all sects. Yeah, we talked a little bit about that religious violence and the big part, it's played for everyone in history. And people who claim to do violent, hateful things in the name of God, like they're following Satan, but they think that they're following God because 
they're mingling scripture with whatever fits their narrative the best way. Amen to that. Yeah, like, yeah, you can see that, like, with almost, like, any religious denomination of the violence that they've also, like, both endured by other people and the ones that they've committed on other sects of religion. Yeah. And we're all doing it in the name of the spiritual beings that we follow and our idea of who is God and who is the devil. (laughs) It's a problem. It makes you think more critically about taking the name of God in vain, but like that's for another time. We can discuss that some other time here. We've talked about the Ten Commandments and stuff. Yeah. Like we could talk about that another time. We could probably make that an entire episode, but but I digress. (laughs) Okay. While I was doing research for this week's episode, I was like, I wonder if I still have that old institute manual from when I was in college. College. Yeah, which Why are you keeping that? <laughs> I mean, impressive. Um, and you clearly got something out of it if you're going to bring it up. So, <laughs> yeah. It was one of the only institute classes that I actually kept the manual for. I think there were like two institute classes that I kept the manual for, and this was one of them. I took this class in college. It's called Doctrines of the Gospel. And the whole semester that I, I actually took it twice. Basically, this class goes deeper into every tiny aspect of it, and it goes deep into it, not just like the gospel principles manual that they do for like new members of the church. It's like that on crack. It's like more intense. So I have a quote from that manual about Satan. It's kind of cut from a couple different chapters. Um, that cover okay. this topic. Um, uh-huh. So it says, Satan exerts mastery over the spirits that have been corrupted by his practices. He is the foremost of the angels who were thrust down and the instigator of the ruin of those who fall in this life. He seeks to molest and hinder mankind in good efforts. Yet in all these malignant doings, he can go no farther than the transgressions of the victim may enable him or the wisdom of God may permit. And at any time, he may be checked by the superior power. Joseph Smith observed that Satan was generally blamed for the evils which we did, but if he was the cause of all of our wickedness, men could not be condemned. The devil could not compel mankind to do evil. All was voluntary. Those who resisted the Spirit of God would be liable to be led into temptation, and then the association of heaven would be withdrawn from those who refused to be made partakers of such great glory. God would not exert any compulsory means, and the devil could not. End quote. Oh, I like that. Right? It's a really good reminder. This was so cool for me to read because we already know from Genesis and from Moses, the story of Adam and Eve in the garden. We know that Satan has the power to, quote unquote, bruise our heels, but we have the power to crush his head. That's in Genesis and it's in Moses, which means that we ultimately have more power than Satan because we have bodies and because we chose to follow Christ instead. So this quote brings up a really fascinating point about Satan, and that's that he can't compel anyone to do evil. It is ultimately a choice. Yes, he can like tempt you and he can try to persuade you, but you still have a choice to make. You can still choose to go along with it or you can choose not to. If a person chooses to follow Satan, that is a series of choices that they are continually having to make to do whatever he wants. Their agency isn't being taken away by Satan. They're actually exercising their agency to choose Satan. So basically, 
Satan is only as powerful in our lives as we let him be. And that one point that they say about at any time, Satan may be checked by the superior power. So at any time, he can be checked by us or by God. And either way, he's not going to succeed. That's kind of wild. It is interesting. And I mean, while you're talking about that, though, it was making me think of some of the horror movies I've watched before. Like there's all sorts like where people get forced into crazy situations and oh, like the only way you can get out of here is if you cut your foot off or if you <laughs> kill this person. Okay. Yes. Yeah. People are like get forced. And, and I know like the horror movies are like, okay, it's so outlandish. It's terrifying. It's gross. Um, these things would never happen in real life. And you know, maybe in most cases they really don't like maybe one person in all of history has had to cut their foot off to escape a dungeon thing. But it's a good reminder for us that people can be pushed to do anything. Um, and it's definitely some, like a message that I've always considered when I watch those kind of horror movies. Like, yeah, you can think you're a pacifist and like you can be one. But I think ultimately at the end of the day, your beliefs can be pushed aside to ma- to, when you are forced to deal with certain situations. Mm-hmm. Whether you're a pacifist or anything like any other belief, like circumstances may force you into one where things happen and from there you still have a choice of what to do and like that's what was coming to mind when you're talking about this that we are going to be put into situations and we ultimately do have to choose what we're going to do about it it may not seem like we have much of a choice and we might think that we're never capable of doing some things but ultimately we are yeah yeah just thought anyways moving on (laughs) We're going to explore some of the scriptural references of Satan. So we're going to just walk through some of these pretty quickly because um, we are we still have so much we want to explore. So we want to make sure that we did at least grab one from each of the four books of scripture that we've got. Um, so hopefully, like, because those are our places to turn to when you won't want to learn anything. And anything more modern still gets interpreted in its own way. So we're going to go ahead and start with them with the Bible. He's mentioned in Genesis, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, we already talked about it with yeah. the Adam and Eve story and all of that. So anyways, we know he's in Genesis, obviously, at the, the beginning of everything. Then we have the verse um, where his name is mentioned, and that is Isaiah fourteen twelve, as we mentioned earlier. And that verse reads off, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground, which does weaken the nations? And then, of course, he does pop up with the temptation of Christ shortly before the crucifixion. Then moving on, the main mention of Satan in the Book of Mormon, from what I gathered, is 2 Nephi chapter 24. And that literally reads the same verse as Isaiah 14, 12. That was when Nephi was going through Isaiah. So in Doctrine and Covenants section 76, specifically verses 25 through 29, it highlights Satan's fall from glory. I just want to read verses 25 and 26, though. It says, And this we also saw and bear record that an angel of God who was in authority in the presence of God, who rebelled against the only begotten Son whom the Father loved, and who was in the bosom of the Father, was thrust down from the presence of God and the Son, and was called perdition, for the heavens wept over him. He was Lucifer, son of the morning. And then in DNC 29, verses 36 through 40, it highlights how Satan tempted Adam and Eve in the garden. Um, And I'm just going to read a few of them 
they're like quick verses. It says, and they were thrust down and thus came the devil and his angels. And behold, there is a place prepared for them from the beginning, which place is hell. And it must needs be that the devil should tempt the children of man, or they could not be agents unto themselves. For if they never should have bitter, they could not know the sweet. And then we have the pearl of great price, which we talked about Moses chapter four already, which completely outlines the account of how Lucifer was cast out of the presence of God and became Satan, and then his work tempting Adam and Eve and all of mankind by extension. And then, of course, in the Pearl of Great Price is also the account of Joseph Smith history, which we know the story of the first vision, but specifically in verses 14 through 20, it talks about when he goes to the grove and he kneels down to pray. I'll read it for you. It says, After I had retired to the place where I had previously designed to go, having looked around me and finding myself alone, I kneeled down and began to offer up the desires of my heart to God. I had scarcely done so, when immediately I was seized upon by some power which entirely overcame me, and had such an astonishing influence over me as to bind my tongue so that I could not speak. Thick darkness gathered around me, and it seemed to me for a time as if I were doomed to sudden destruction. But, exerting all my powers to call upon God to deliver me out of the power of this enemy which had seized upon me, and at the very moment when I was ready to sink into despair and abandon myself to destruction, not to an imaginary ruin, but to the power of some actual being from the unseen world, who had such marvelous power as I had never before felt in any being, just as this moment of great alarm, I saw a pillar of light exactly over my head, above the brightness of the sun, which descended gradually until it fell upon me. And then we know what happens after that, but we're not going to read the whole thing. No surprises. Okay, diving into a few pieces of biblical literature, I guess. I don't know. Um, I did want to bring up Paradise Lost again. I've been meaning to reread it. I just think it's very fascinating. So I just pulled a few pieces from Wikipedia and Sparks and it's to quickly cover this because we don't really read that kind of literature anymore. So Wikipedia says, Satan, formerly called Lucifer, is a first major character introduced in the poem. He is a tragic figure who famously declares better to reign in hell than serve in heaven. Following his vain rebellion against God, he is cast out from heaven and condemned to hell. And then Sparks Notes reads, Milton devotes much of the poem's early books to developing Satan's character. Satan's greatest fault is his pride. He casts himself as an innocent victim overlooked for an important promotion. Some readers consider Satan to be the hero or protagonist of the story because he struggles to overcome his own doubts and weaknesses and accomplishes his goal of corrupting humankind. Satan's character, or our perception of his character, changes significantly from book 1 to his final appearance in book 10. In book one, he is a strong, imposing figure with great abilities as a leader and public statesman, whereas by the poem's end, he slinks back to hell in serpent form. Satan's gradual degradation is dramatized by the sequence of different shapes he assumes. He begins the poem as a just-fallen angel of enormous stature, looks like a comet or meteor as he leaves hell, then disguises himself as a more humble cherub, then as a cormorant, a toad, and finally a snake. His ability to reason and argue also deteriorates. Satan, removed from heaven long enough to forget its unparalleled grandeur, is completely demented, coming to believe in his own lies. He is a picture of incessant intellectual activity without the ability to think morally. 
Once a powerful angel, he has become blinded to God's grace, forever unable to reconcile his past with his eternal punishment. The thing I always think of of Satan's character in Paradise Lost is that like guy who lost the big game in football in high school all those years ago and cost his team the state trophy or state championship or whatever and he just ruminates on that his whole life and is and he can't let that go and he's like things would have been so different in my life if i had won the game for everyone i could be a pro football player but now look at me i'm 45 and i work at pizza hut like it's like that <laughs> okay, sort of oh, yeah. like that's yeah. what i always thought of when I read this book. He just needs to find himself in a different multiverse. Not that there's anything wrong with being 45 and working at Pizza Hut because, you know, a job is a job. But being that person that is constantly dwelling on the past instead of appreciating what you have and looking forward is not cute. Then I wanted to bring up two more things. So I have been exploring Keep It Pitching In, um, Artisy Partial's site a little bit more lately. Um, We've referenced them quite a bit in the past. They're um, an LDS scholar historian. Um, so they put together an August 2020 lesson. It was less than 32. I know that my redeemer liveth from that time. And I kind of wanted to pull in this quote that was shared. For us, the idea that Satan could come and go, that he would talk to God and that God would give him an assignment, turn over one of God's righteous men to the devil, strikes us as completely wrong. And it would be. But in the structure of this of the story, the character of Satan is not the person that we know as Lucifer. Instead, Satan is here used as a title. He is the accuser or the prosecutor and is a son of God who is a member of the divine council. His role is to test mankind, just as the Lord's role is to judge mankind. And so I I just think that's really interesting to consider because like we think of him in like such certain and different ways that it's sometimes easy to forget um, the importance of the role that he did play as well as the importance of the role he currently does play. Not that we like want to like, you know, give him respect and stuff, but like to pretend that you don't need to be worried about someone like that or like pretend you can ignore them and not understand them is a very vain and prideful thing to do. So you're falling into that pit of exactly what Lucifer would want you to do in the first place. Yeah. Just a thought. And then I did just want to pull in a piece from the Joseph Smith papers. So I've got a piece um, written from Howard Corey um, from a discourse on the 21st of May, 1843. And he wrote that when Lucifer was hurled from heaven, the decree was that he should not obtain a tabernacle, not those that were him, but go abroad upon the earth, exposed to the anger of the elements, naked and bare, but oft times he lays hold upon men, binds up their spirits, enters their habitations, laughs at the decree of God, and rejoices in that he hath a house to dwell in. By and by, he is expelled by authority and goes abroad mourning. And so I just kind of like wanted to pull that in because then that that's what the early saints would have been kind of picturing him as. They'd be reading the scriptures and they'd be pulling in that kind of discourse to have an idea of their interpretation of him that, at that time. Because as much as we might reference the same scriptures over and over, each generation is going to view everything a little bit differently. And so I just thought this was very interesting to consider the terminology that they were using and to consider everything at play there. That kind of illustrates the idea of possession and exorcism in a really interesting way too. So that's really fascinating. Yeah. So let's move on to talk about how Satan has been depicted in the media. 
Satan has been depicted in media for literally centuries. Like, this is not new information. We know that he has been classically depicted in artwork for well over 600 years in drawings, paintings, sculptures, so much more. He's been depicted in literature, like Kaylee explained in works such as Milton's Paradise Lost, my personal favorite, Dante's Inferno. Yes, Inferno. Love it. Mm-hmm. Va- I can't remember how to spell pronounce his name. Is it Von Goetz? If in one certain accent, yes. Okay, I'm not good at pronouncing these names, but it's Faust. We're going to go with Faust. It's recognizable. Yeah. We, we get that. C.S. Lewis's The Screw Tape Letters. Oh my gosh. Everyone, every Mormon's favorite <laughs> literature piece of him. Um, and, and yeah. Yeah. More, so many more. more pieces of literature. Um, he's also been depicted all over modern media through mediums such as film, television, and more recently, the internet, which is our favorite medium. <laughs> yes. Let's let's go through some of these. <laughs> it's going to be good, you guys. Yes. Okay, first off, I already kind of referenced Good Omens, available yes. on Amazon Prime, based on a book by Terry Pratchett, and it's not Neil. Is it Neil Gaiman? Neil Gaiman. Neil Gaiman. A wonderful piece. It's a six-part series. Amazon Prime. I've watched it at least three times. I it's so enjoy. good. It's about an angel and a demon, like who become friends and they try to stop the apocalypse. Like, and the demon is played by David Tennant. Yes, better than watching him play someone evil. Honestly, it's it's nothing. Nothing the, is the better. The entire than that. casting is phenomenal. I mean, you got John Hamm in it. Like, come on. Oh my gosh, they're all yes. brilliant. So, yeah, we enjoyed that one. <laughs> we also enjoyed Supernatural, as we've already talked about. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. All right, that's available on Netflix, but was originally produced by the CW. Oh my gosh, they're still around, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um. And that, like, overall, like Supernatural, like plays into like different myths and religions and so much more. I don't know how many seasons they want. They went on for 15 seasons, you guys. But it did officially end, so. Yes, it did officially. But they're making a prequel now about about Mary and John Winchester. It's going to be called The Winchesters. Of course they are. When I say I have a problem when it comes to Supernatural, I mean I have a problem. (laughs) It is an addiction. I am aware of this. It is going to be so dangerous when this show finally comes out because Mm. it will consume (laughs) my life. (laughs) We We just love our shows. (laughs) Oh, gosh. And then moving on, a currently running show, we've got Lucifer, like literally Lucifer. You can watch that on Netflix. It's originally produced by Fox. It's basically a buddy cop romance show, (laughs) like with some religious context in there. Like he goes down to hell at one point, though he's been avoiding it. So, and and Tom Ellis. I mean, whew. Again, Satan is a hot man. I'm just going to say it. Satan is a hot man. They do that in all the media now. It's like, you guys. Who wants to follow an ugly Satan? I'm just going to say it. You cannot tell me that some (laughs) creature who crawls out from the depths of the earth is going to convince me to follow him. No, I would be like, be sir, face. crawl back into that hole from which you came. Get out away from here. Uh-huh. But if it was Bradley Cooper's face or Tom <laughs> Ellis's face and body trying to convince me to do something, well, yes, stop. where do you need me to go? I'll go anywhere for you. Mm-hmm. What you need, baby? <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> What's more realistic? 
I'm just saying. I'm here saying the things no one wants to admit to themselves. Oh my goodness. Okay, anyways, the other <laughs> mediums that we've seen Satan depicted in mm-hmm. is my personal favorite, which is SNL. Mm-hmm. Our generation would probably remember Jason Sudeikis playing the devil on mm-hmm. SNL, but John Lovitz was the first person to play the oh, devil okay. on SNL in Weekend yeah. Update years and years and years ago. If you want to watch that, it's available on Peacock and on Hulu. Um, a, it's a reoccurring sketch that they bring up in Weekend Update where the devil talks about what's going on in the world today, and it's fantastic, and I love it. So funny. And then another one that Kaylee and I are obsessed with right now is the content creator Stanzi Potenza. They're amazing. Their TikToks oh are hilarious. They're available, obviously, on TikTok, um, but you can also see them on Instagram where they pretend to be Satan and Satan's minions bringing random people into hell. Not only is the content creator who does this one of our favorite people ever, but like mm. these sketches are the things that oh consistently make Kaylee and I cry laughing it's on a daily basis. So good. I mean, there's there's definitely other TikTok creators who portray like hell and bringing people there or like doing things there. I get that, but like, Sansi Potenza just they've got an art to this. Yeah. And it's it's tears every time. It's really my personal so favorite is whenever Satan calls God, whenever yes. the person is in hell, like, I want to speak to your manager. And so they'll call God and God just goes, Boo, hags, we hate hags. Like Yeah. I love it so much. Hilarious. Oh my gosh. It's the greatest. So good. Okay, and then just like a light mention of some related movies that we've seen, or at least like I've seen. Uh, so I, like I'll mention Eli. It's a type of horror movie um, because you know you get you get all those types um, of children who are lit- who are literally okay. If you haven't watched Eli, I am giving you the spoiler right now. Um, but it's about children who are the who are literally the spawns of Satan. So that does get referenced in Good Omens, the show, and then The Omen, the movie. Yeah. Um, and then if you prefer like more comedy versions, there's a little evil available on Netflix. <laughs> and yeah. that is hilarious. Um we did a watch party of that a little while ago. So Yeah. <laughs> it has Adam Scott as the lead, and um we saw me in a character in the movie. <laughs> yes. We are not going to tell you who I am in this movie. We want you to watch it you and tell us it. who you think the character oh is God. because <laughs> it is very glaringly obvious who I am in this movie, oh which gosh. is it's Twice. yeah, it's so chef's good. kiss. It's amazing. Mm, so good. Okay. Anyways, <laughs> now that we've covered our whole discussion about who Satan is from both a doctrinal and a secular perspective, How have your thoughts about Satan changed? What do you think about Satan now in comparison from the thoughts that you had posed by the Twitter thread, your your pre-podcast episode thoughts about Satan? Do you think that he's damned forever? Do you think he was a necessary part of the plan? Should he be given a lighter sentence? What are your thoughts now? So I'm going to ask Kaylee that question. What are your thoughts about him now? Honestly, so many and yet not enough at the same time. I have no answers. But <laughs> I it I've I've always found it very interesting on how we've kind of commoditized or personalized the devil. It's like very fascinating. Backing up, like in college, I couldn't imagine like people like being Satanists or like, you know, the people who like were wearing upside down crosses because that's been known as a symbol and everything, and being deemed as like anti-religious and like 
doing all this crazy stuff. Um, so my mindset from there has drastically changed because like, we've got like, we've got hot versions of who <laughs> Satan is. And like, that's makes it hard to resist. And it's interesting to put all these different spins on them. And it, it's just very fascinating to kind of see how it's gone through. So, I mean, while I'm not the type to start going around saying like wearing like shirts with hail Satan on it, um, no matter how cute they look, like I've, I've had to essentially face the fact that like Lucifer is not like a one dimensional character as we kind of portray him within our church. He's multifaceted and to write him off in that way is dangerous. I mean, like, I do feel torn on, like, how much sympathy I should be providing um, because we, we should, we are, we should be people who do care, who do forgive and so on. Um, but also, if we follow and listen to him, we're in a lot of trouble and we don't get to progress eternally. So, I mean, it's clear that we chose differently than him and it's said that we fought him and our other um, siblings in heaven, but that also doesn't compare well to the idea of what comes after this life, which is eternal families. So like beginning of heaven, like, no, you guys, we will never be together, but the rest of us can be. That's that kind of like sits odd. Like the more that I think about this and the more that we discuss it in this podcast, but also kind of like what some of those comments are saying, it does raise an interesting point. Um, so like based on our understanding here, Lucifer could possibly be given the opportunity for forgiveness. If he gave up all that he'd done wrong, then he could have something. He could find eternal glory kind of thing, but he, he but he won't like, I guess like I'm losing my train of thought. So based on, I mean, like I get where you're going. Yeah. Like he could potentially like have a prodigal mm-hmm. son moment where he comes to himself yes. and he wants to apologize and repent and change. Yes, based on where he has stopped progressing so long ago and the path that he is now on, um, the role he's taken is that it does it doesn't seem really possible. So it's like the possibility is there, but also it's kind of not because we already know what the outcome will totally be. So that's kind of my perspective. And it's definitely changed a little bit and softened a little bit. And it's just another consideration to keep in mind about who the morning star used to be. And I guess it's a reminder of us like, okay, we need to consider what the choices we're making on a regular basis. So but also that's not going to stop me from laughing and crying about some of the stuff and media that I get to enjoy. So I don't know if that's going to damn me, but... I'm sure it will. I'll be there with you. It's cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll have a good cool. time. Ready. <laughs> you know, if anything, our discussion today has given me a bit of empathy towards Satan in a way and the one-third host of heaven because the choice they made in the pre-mortal existence prevented them from ever having a chance at redemption, growth, anything. Like nothing. They have nothing. I mean, we know a part of the story of the pre-mortal existence. We know a portion of it. And a very narrow, very precise idea of it. Yes. We don't know the whole story. We don't know what he was doing before the council in heaven. We don't know what his character was like before then. We don't know, like, what his even true relationship was with God before then. Like, we know his title, what he was called, but we don't know, like, what the dynamic was. Like, we really don't know anything. 
The only thing we really do know is that his prog his progress literally just stopped there. He could have been something or someone truly magnificent before the Council in Heaven. And he could have become something even more magnificent afterwards, but he would never see that opportunity because his progression was halted. I have complex feelings about this because do I feel like he was a necessary part of the plan? Yes and no. Yes, because I think God needed to see who would actually try to follow him in this like super test and seeing one third just give up immediately before even going to the test probably answered a couple questions of his. But also I feel like, no, it wasn't necessary because we would still have opposition in this life, even without Satan. Like we would still have illnesses, we would still have natural disasters, financial burdens, faith crises, like everything just from existing as humans. We can't give him all of the credit here. So I feel like Satan kind of just adds extra flavor to our lives in a way. Do I think he's damned forever? Yes, because what we've already talked about, damnation is that halt to progression. So like his, he's not going to go any further. But I did find this quote from the Doctrines of the Gospel Institute Manual again that talks about Satan in the millennium, which says, we talk about Satan being bound. Satan will be bound by the power of God, but he will be bound also by the determination of the people of God not to listen to him, not to be governed by him. The Lord will not bind him and take away his power from the earth while there are men and women willing to be governed by him. That is contrary to the plan of salvation. To deprive men of their agency is contrary to the purposes of God. And that comes from George Q. Cannon. And I thought that was interesting because it doesn't necessarily mean that like Satan's going to be bound in chains like we all imagine him being bound in chains in the millennium. But he's going to be bound because people won't really care about him anymore. It's equally a fun idea to me and a sad idea because like he'll be irrelevant and it's like for him that's going to be really disappointing and sad like he'll be like I had it real good back in those days when I could roam free on earth but then at the same time it'll be like really nice because we won't have to deal with that crap anymore. But I don't know I just have very like complicated and semi-contradictory feelings about Satan at this point like right I want to feel bad for him and I do kind of feel bad for him, but at the same time, I want to punch him in the throat. So like, yep, it is what it is. Yeah. 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 And I mean, honestly, like we can come to our own decisions and own opinions and that's kind of, that's where we leave off because we're stuck in this stasis period. We're also like a growth stasis period on this earth where there's only so much information that we have and will be permitted to have in this lifetime. I think things will make a lot more sense when we die. And after Judgment Day. Which sucks because everyone has been saying that to us since we were like youth. Also true. And I hate yeah. hearing that. But the older I get, the more I'm like, it's freaking true. And I, nothing matters. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> nothing matters. It's, it'll make sense in the spirit oh world. And I hate that answer. That's so stupid. But nothing we can do. So anyways, you guys, that kind of wraps up our thoughts. Mm -hmm. We know we might come to a more open-minded perspective on Lucifer or Satan or whatever you wish to call him. If that bothers you, that's okay. You're allowed to have your own opinions and you can stick with whatever you want. The church likes to present everything in the gospel as black and white. But as we continue to explore chaotic spirituality... And the truth behind, you know, our commandments and scriptures and leaders and more. We need to be ready to face what is uncomfortable and strange. We need to be prepared to live in the gray zone as necessary. 
It's a nuanced issue, and we want to be able to understand all angles to ensure an honest perspective and to be able to do our best moving forward. That's kind of where we're leaving off. If you have more insights or ideas or research about this, we would love to hear about it. But for those who are feeling a little bit on the low point of this, like we do want to remind you that we do have potential hope and joy that does come through a plan of salvation that was prepared for us. We think that pretty much everyone kind of has access to. So while we don't know all the details and we won't in this lifetime as we will continue to complain about, we know that through listening to our heavenly parents, we can find some peace in this life and prepare for the next one. So we'll just close with some words from Uchdorf in his 2008 Donald Conference talk, The Infinite Power of Hope, where it says that hope is not knowledge, but rather the abiding trust that the Lord will fulfill his promise to us. The things we hope for are often future events. If only we could look beyond the horizon of mortality into what awaits us beyond this life. Is it possible to imagine a more glorious future than the one prepared for us by our Heavenly Father? Embrace and rely upon the hope of Israel for the love of the Son of God pierces all darkness, softens all sorrow, and gladdens every heart. We don't know what will happen to us. We don't know what will happen to anyone, ultimately. Um, We have our (laughs) ideas. And that's kind of just where we're at. And that's okay. It's okay to not know everything. And it's okay to just kind of be floundering around. I think what you said about being prepared to live in the gray zone is truly necessary. I have been slowly re-listening to the conference talks from April. Slowly. Okay. Mm Mm-hmm. And And? as I've been listening to them, I've been picking up on more of that as an undertone of some of the talks. I don't really know everything. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what the true like end point is. I just know that we have this hope in Christ and we have this hope in our heavenly parents and we can continue to live in this gray zone where things don't fully make sense and we continue to believe that nothing matters because that's going to probably be Kaylee's and my mantra for the rest of our lives. We can live in this gray zone where nothing really makes sense and everything seems like it doesn't matter, but we can live here and find joy and comfort in this gray area because we have that hope in the atonement and we have that hope in our heavenly parents. Even though like we have already established throughout this episode, we don't know that much about Satan. We don't know about his life before the council in heaven. We don't know anything about what he's going to end up like. We don't really know for sure. We have modern revelation. We have the scriptures, but we don't concrete know definitively what's going to happen because, you know, it's anybody's guess really at this point. But we can take comfort and hope in knowing that the Savior is going to take care of everything and he's going to make it right and he'll help us to understand things in the next life. And even though it sucks to say that it'll make sense in the next life, maybe we can just take comfort in knowing that the questions that we have now may not get answered fully. We can seek some answers and we can research, we can learn, we can grow. The answer might not fully come to the extent that we want it, but we can get some sort of peace and comfort from what we learn. So hopefully that helps a little bit in this crazy mixed up world that we live in today. Amen. I don't have anything to go after that, but we do know that it's difficult to live in the gray zone and we know that it's hard to basically just live this life. Let's be real. Mm hmm. But yeah, we yeah, we we have hope that there's still something there and sometimes that's that's going to be enough. And we hope that one way or another that you've got hope for something better, for something good. And we wish you well. Yeah.
And we also hope that you guys will share your thoughts with us. Yeah. DM us. Especially if you watch Little Evil on Netflix, tell us who you think I am in the movie, please. (laughs) I want to know. Yes. Okay. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye.